Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening, and Lord, we thank you for the truth that we sang about just now in that song, Lord, that no matter what situation we go through, no matter what circumstance we may find ourselves in, that we know that in Christ, as our Lord and Savior, that we are never alone. And Lord, I know that in today's day and age, there are so many people, Lord, that say or that surveys find or research is finding that so many people that the number one thing they're facing, that the number one thing they're battling with is this feeling of being alone or isolated, that, that nobody else can understand, nobody else knows what they're going through. And Lord, we live in a world today that is so isolated from one another. There's so many people that are battling with this. And what a confidence, what a comfort to know that no matter what we go through, that because we know you as our Lord and Savior, because we have a relationship with you, that we are never alone, that we don't have to fear that, that worry of being isolated, Lord, that you are always with us and that you will be with us and keep us in your grace and in your presence. And so, Father, thank you for the reality of that fact. And we pray, Father, that we would go through the service tonight, Lord, worshiping you, praising you, and lifting you up, Lord, because you are the one that is with us, even though we don't deserve it. Now, we haven't earned your friendship. We haven't earned your love. We never could, but you extend it to us freely by grace through faith that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, can be saved and have a relationship with you. You are the good and loving Heavenly Father that has extended that to us in our sin and in our weakness, our frailty, and our unfaithfulness. And so thank you for always being with us, Lord. Pray you'd be with us as we go into your word. Um, someone else grow in Christ that we ourselves might. All that you're going to do moving forward through this service and then the snack night to Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I do want to begin this evening with just a couple announcements. So first and foremost, again, thank you so much for being here this evening. Um, I do want to share just quickly, um, this afternoon we had our Appreciation Sunday potluck. Uh, what an awesome time of fellowship that was. Um, I don't know how many were actually here for the luncheon. Um, I didn't count exactly, but I know that we set up like a hundred and two chairs and we had to put up like four more tables afterwards or during the dinner. So uh, what an amazing time to just kind of fellowship and just have a great time of food, uh, encouraging one another. Um, I pray that you let somebody know today uh, how much you appreciated them in their ministry, whether it was a teacher, uh, somebody who serves here, maybe one of our officers, a board member. Um, honestly, it is amazing what God has been doing and continues to do in people stepping up and serving. Um, and we are just so thankful. And everything that we do for the church, we really do it for the Lord. And so the greatest way to demonstrate our love for the Lord is by showing love to one another and to serve one another and be there for one another. So what a praise it was to be able to be a part of that today. Um, a couple announcements just to recap cap what we talked about this morning. One big thing I want to make sure you're aware of is, as we mentioned before, Avi and Kevin, uh, who have been engaged for a couple years now, who attend the church, uh, they're getting married on October 28th. And so the service starts at 11 a.m. So 11 a.m. on October 28th, uh, right here at the church. And so there will be a luncheon provided. And so if you could please do them a huge favor of RSVPing by October 8th. So that really only gives a couple weeks. What we really want to get as many RSVPs in and ready as possible. Um, and so that way they're able to prepare because they're catering food for this luncheon. So please make sure RSVP by October 8th if you're going to be a part of that service. And it, uh, also one thing she did want me to mention, I forgot to mention this morning. Uh, she does not, they do not want any gifts. No gifts. So if you're used to doing that for a wedding, obviously... 
please know they're requesting no gifts, all right? Um, so they did specifically, she specifically said, please announce that and make sure people know that, all right? Um, also want to let you know, we do have our Ladies' Day Out coming up October 7th. We also have our men's prayer breakfast. Our first one for uh, the fall is going to be that same day, October 7th. Ladies' Day Out, 9.30. Uh, men's prayer breakfast is going to be at 8 a.m. And so uh, men's prayer breakfast right here at the church. If you want to help make some food and prepare some food, you can come out a little early for that, about 7.15. Ladies, you are meeting here at the church at 9.30. All right? Um, also, Hallelujah Quilters have their quilting retreat coming up on October 13th. And then, guys, we have our men's chili cook-off going on October 21st, uh, 11 to 2. Uh, it is a free event, but we still would love to have you sign up, okay? So you need to sign up if you're going to be bringing a chili so we can know that we're going to have enough food for everybody. So please sign up. Um, if you are inviting someone to come with you and they say, yeah, I'll be there, sign them up. Uh, let it being free be a big encouragement to people to come. Okay, it's going to be an awesome time. Uh, we're going to give away some prizes, some Country Smokehouse gift cards. It's going to be awesome. You don't want to miss out on this. All right, it's going to be an awesome day. So come on out for that. Uh, we also do a cornhole tournament. And so that's kind of for fun, but also there is going to be uh, a prize for the winning team as well. And so uh, just don't forget about that, guys. Sign up as soon as possible. All right, Funds for Floors is still going on. So if you want to grab an envelope, you can do that here soon. One of the things we want to let you know about with our funds for floors, we mentioned this a few weeks ago, um, we have had so many people give to this. It's been so great to see. Uh, we are actually in the process, and I told you guys some change was coming. Uh, we have already ordered and in the process of getting the carpet for the office area and the nursery. So that is already getting shipped to uh, the carpet guy, and that will hopefully be in in the next couple of weeks. Um, and then also we already have some research and stuff done on the rest of the flooring. And so we made some decisions at our last board meeting. And in the next month or so, you're going to see a lot of change happening at the building in regards to funds for floors. Um, and just God has been blessing tremendously. So thank you for your generosity and your patience. Um, if you walk out here in the lobby, you're going to see the carpet's pretty rough in different areas. So thank you for your patience. But we really wanted to make sure we did this in a way that honors the Lord. And we did not want to go into any more debt. Uh, we already have a mortgage on the building and other things. So we wanted to do this debt-free. And so we kind of told ourselves as a board, we're going to raise every dollar we need. And so God has been blessing that tremendously. So saying all of that to say this, there were some envelopes left. Some of those dollar amounts were getting kind of up there. They were the more 200 and some dollar amounts and all of that. So what we're going to be doing, um, hopefully in the next couple of weeks here, you'll see them back on there. We're going to kind of take the full dollar amount that was left. Okay, so whatever was left over, and I don't know the exact amount right now, but whatever dollar amount was left, we're going to start back over at $1, $2, and go all the way up to that dollar amount. And then that way, families, kids, teens can get more involved again like we saw in the very beginning. All right? So just because the envelopes are gone, don't think, oh, we're done. Okay? Not quite, but we're so, so close. Okay? So God has been blessing there. Um, that's going to be, again, continuing to go on as we ask the Lord to continue to do a lot of great things here. But it's been amazing to see, and again, you're going to be blown away when you start seeing some of these changes, what God has been doing. That being said, we will not vote on a carpet color because we already picked the carpet color. So if you don't like it, I'm so sorry. Not really, but it's just going to deal with it. All right. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to be in Judges chapter three. 
So Judges chapter 3, we're going to continue through our kind of scripture studies. We've been doing this for quite a few Sunday nights now. So what we're going to do is I have for you a handout of the passage. And so I do need a volunteer that would help pass these out. Josiah can help. Maybe one more. Evan. Oh, I don't know if this is a good idea. I got the dynamic duo up here. All right. So they're going to be handing out to you guys. Uh, We have clipboards as well if you need something hard to write on. Uh, I got some clipboards up here. If I can get maybe get somebody to help with clipboards. Who wants help with Austin? Well, this is great. Maybe another team that wants to help. Pens. Tyler, you want to help hand out pens? Sure. Look at that. He was like, oh, I don't know. Do I? So, all right. So these guys are going to be helping you out. So if you need a clipboard, Austin's got you taken care of. Um, If you need a handout, Evan and Josiah got that. And then Tyler's got our pens. So... Yep, so if you need something, let them know. If we run out of handouts, we should not. But if we do, just let me know, boys. We'll get it squared away. Does anyone else need a clipboard? We got more up here. There you go, bud. All right. That's a very, very nice hand roll if you're like, right here. This, this right here. Okay, awesome. Are you done? Oh, I thought you were handing that to me. All right. Make sure you guys that handing out, make sure you got one for yourself. Anyone else need something? We got some hands in the back. I see those hands. Testify. Oh, all the pens are gone. There are more pens up in the sound booth if somebody needs a pen and didn't get one. Is everybody good? Is anybody missing anything? Uh, Hey, Keith, there might be some more clipboards right in front of where you guys are at. Can you just grab a couple of those blank ones, please, and thank you? One thing, too, I'll let you know, um, I try to mention this. Again, I don't have a plan as far as how many more studies like this we're going to do. It really is kind of week to week as the Lord leads. Um, I hope and I pray these have been an encouragement to you, a blessing to you, fruitful to kind of just work through a passage of Scripture, um, to kind of show you how you can do this on your own. Uh, But if you would prefer a digital copy... So we have a couple of people that prefer to use uh, their iPad and they have a, like an Apple pencil and they'll go ahead and make notes like that. If you would prefer to do that versus a paper copy, just let me know and I'll do my best. I, I'll be honest, I don't always remember, but do, let me know and I'll do my best to send you a digital copy of the, the passage we're going to be working through. Because some people, again, you might write a lot of notes and you may not want to do that in your Bible, right? Your actual paper Bible. So again, if that's a helping to you, a help to you, I'd love to let you know that. All right. So we are going to be in Judges chapter 3, and again, we're going to actually look at the first judge in the book of Judges that we come to, okay? So we're going to look at the first judge. Now, to kind of start us off before you dive into the text, because if you notice, we're in Judges 3, 5 through 11. So there's a lot that's already happened in the book of Judges, okay? So one of the biggest things we want to remember as we're studying Scripture is we can't just jump into the middle of a passage without kind of knowing what happened before. It's kind of, in a sense, like any other book. Now, the Word of God is not like any other book in a sense that it's divinely inspired, but the basic idea is you don't jump into the middle of a book without knowing what's going on, okay? So um, I'll just open it up real quick. If somebody can answer this, that's great. If not, I'll answer it in just a second. But what's kind of transpired... Before the book of Judges begins, what, what's kind of going on with the nation of Israel, the children of Israel? I mean, we don't need all the way back to Genesis, okay? But kind of a quick idea of what's, what's gone on recently 
in the nation's history before Judges opens up. If someone wants to kind of speak to that or, or kind of give us a, some, some ideas of what's happened recently in their history leading up to the book of Judges. Sandra, I don't know if that's a hand raise. You're down here. Guys, if you're going to go hand raise, not at the nose because you might be wiping, okay? Got to go high. Got to go high with it, okay? Don't be afraid. Sandra. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so they're in the promised land. The book of Judges opened up. The children of Israel are in the promised land, which they were given promise to Abraham all the way through, uh, through the Exodus and all of that. Okay, so they're in the promised land. But while they're there, there's other tribal groups there, other people groups there. And so there's been conflict, right, leading up to this and right before this, there's been conflict and other things going on. Absolutely, 100%. What else has kind of happened in their kind of recent history? Yes. So the beginning of Judges recounts a little bit of what Joshua was doing, but the book of Joshua precedes the book of Judges, okay? These are also two books that would be considered historical books in Scripture, right? They're two of the 12 historical books in the Old Testament. So they're actually going in order. So if you really want to know what's going on in Judges and kind of what set up this whole scene, you really need to go back and read Joshua. And Joshua is the story of Joshua, who was kind of second in command to who? Moses. Moses was not allowed to let the children of Israel go into the, or lead them into the promised land. Joshua led them in. And Joshua has been the leader, the one in charge, the one directing the people of Israel, leading them through all of these battles that Sandra alluded to. And as Judges opens up, there's kind of this interesting dynamic going on in Israel where under Joshua, they're doing pretty well. Right, as far as a nation. Of course, there's issues, but mostly they're doing well. Joshua dies, and now we kind of turn a page, and the Israelites begin to drift away from Joshua's example, leadership, the commitments that they made under Joshua's leadership. So Joshua dying has a huge impact on what the children of Israel are going to be doing forward. They're responsible for their choices, but that leads to some of these things we see with a lack of strong leadership, okay? Anything else that precedes this moment that might help us to better understand kind of what's gone on and what's going to be going on in Judges? We'll dive into it in a little bit here. What were the children of Israel supposed to do when they entered the land? When they entered an area, what were they supposed to do? God wanted them to take over that land, conquer that land, right, and drive the inhabitants out. And, and it sounds really harsh to our ears, but to also wipe them out. But they don't do that. They let a lot of these people groups remain, and they let a lot of their religions remain. And we're going to see that directly leads to so much of what we see in the book of Judges. Also, we see a cycle in the book of Judges, right? There's a cycle of behavior we see in Judges. I believe it happens seven times, okay? Seven different examples of this. The people sin, they repent, they're delivered, they're at peace or rest, then they sin, they repent, they're delivered, 
They're at peace. And this cycle just keeps going over and over again. And every time we read the book of Judges, we should instantly feel at home because our lives look like that, right? Everything's going fine. We make some decisions to do our own thing. We turn our back on God's ways. We sin in some way. We experience the consequences of that sin. Then the next thing you know, we cry out in repentance. God restores us. He delivers us in a sense. And we're at rest and we're at peace. But as time goes on, we forget what God has done. We sin and we go through the same cycle. The only difference is, obviously, we know that our salvation is not held in how well we perform, how well we follow God's leading. Our salvation is held in Christ. So that's, there's a different dynamic here. Uh, so also, it's important to note, the people under Joshua not only followed his leadership, but they responded in agreement to, to Joshua's call to submit to the Lord as their king. So they're not just saying, okay, Joshua, we'll follow your leadership of this. They actually say, no, Joshua, we're going to agree with you, and we're going to follow the Lord. We're going to commit to his lordship over our lives. However, as we talked about, after Joshua passes away, and some time goes by, the people begin to drift in their commitment to the Lord. So now we pick up in this moment of Judges. One other thing we must kind of note here, if you don't know this just from studying the history of it, there is no king in Israel at this time. Okay, there's no earthly king. There's no human king. God appointed leaders over the children of Israel. He appointed Moses. He appointed Joshua. Joshua passes away, and now he's going to appoint judges. Now, when we think of a judge, what do we think of? Supreme Court. What comes to your mind when you think of a judge? What do you picture? A person wearing what? Black robe, right? Sitting at a high bench, gavel, right? The whole nine. Evan? Okay, Judge Judy, yes, great example of a judge. Okay, so we picture that kind of a judge. They're making judgments. They're making decisions, right? Guilty, innocent, these kind of things. That's, that's not a horrible way to think of these judges, but it's not the best way to think of these judges. When we think of these judges, it's not just that they're going to make judgments, which they do. They do make decisions, which we see other examples of that in the book of Judges. These are also individuals who are leading the military, okay? So they're kind of leading military fights and battles. So they're kind of the generals. They're leading in a governmental sense because they're overseeing decision-making and all those kind of things. They're spiritual leaders, right? They should be leading the spiritual heart of the people, making sure that the people have their hearts and minds focused on the Lord. So they're not just sitting at a bench making decisions. It's more than that, okay? They're also kind of, in a sense, fulfilling this idea of, spiritual leader, uh, civil leader, all these kind of things, military leaders. And so tonight we're going to dive into the first judge that we see. And that's why I wanted you to know this, because this individual is not just stepping up in a military sense. There's more to it than that. Also, you can kind of take a side note here. As the judges go on through the book, they become less and less committed to really what God would have. So we start with an individual who is very committed to the Lord, and we end with a judge who has a lot of issues, okay? So again, as you study the book of Judges, even among the people, it's almost like the, the group they get to choose from starts getting less and less. We should identify with this in our political climate today, okay? Not exactly the best of the best is rising to the top. Let's just be honest. I don't care what side of the fence you're on, okay? There's not a lot of great choices. That's what I'm getting at. And that's kind of what happens here from a man who's committed to the Lord and on fire for the Lord and compassionate to the last judge who has to be 
corrected and rebuked and even punished, right, for different things that he does. So again, it starts to go down as far as their leadership with the Lord. Saying all of that, let's dive in. So I'm going to give you guys about 10 minutes to break apart the passage. And I know I gave a lot of background there, but I wanted you to know as much as you can before you dive into the text. And what I want you to do is as you read through this passage, make notes, observations, locations, people groups, um, who's doing what, who's saying what to who, what's going on in the passage. Are there situations being described, conversations? Do you see any kind of breaking up of the passage? So I just want you to take a few minutes. You're going to read through the passage and then just make some notes, okay? Make observations. If you see a name of a location or a people group, circle that, right? Underline that. When you see individuals being talked about or when you see the names of people, talk about that. Um, descriptions of what's going on in the situation, describe that. So again, that's kind of what we're going to do, make some notes, observations, and then we'll come back in about 10 minutes and break it apart.
All right. We'll have you guys go ahead and pause that for just a second there and hopefully come back to it later to go ahead and finish up working through the text. If you didn't get a chance to finish, um, we're going to jump into, first of all, I kind of want to give you a little bit of a bracket. You can kind of bracket this passage. Um, So first you're going to see verses 5 through 7. That's kind of one bracket of dealing with one thing. Verse 8 kind of stands alone. And then verses 9 through 11 kind of were grouped together, okay? Um, You could do verse 9 alone and then 10 and 11, uh, but just kind of breaking it up, 5 through 7, 8, and then 9 through 11. As we open up, the first thing you're going to see is, again, kind of that situation they find themselves in, right? Um, Verse 5 talks about that the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, again, that sounds foreign to our ears, but what are all these groups representing? These are tribal groups, Canaan in, or in Canaan land. Because these are the tribal groups that were already there. The Israelites have come in. God's promised them this land, promised them that they're going to overcome. And he begins to give them the land that these tribes were holding. Now, some people would pause and say, that seems really unjust of God to take land from one people and give it to another group of people that it wasn't their land. That was, these are the land of the Canaanites or the Amorites. And again, remember, God is not a God who is doing things just arbitrarily. God is the only one who is completely objective and that when God calls the Israelites, and this is evidence throughout the Old Testament, when God calls the Israelites to go in and to conquer a people group or to, to exercise some form of judgment on a people group, only God is the one that can say this people group is worthy of that. And I truly believe that God used the Israelites to exercise judgment on people that had denied him, that had denied worship to him, that had denied honor and glory to him and worshiped idols. And so I truly believe that God is using this time to, yes, bless the Israelites and provide for them a promised land, but also to exercise judgment on these other people groups. And I believe God works that way throughout the whole of the Old Testament. God actually used heathen nations that didn't recognize God as an authority to rebuke and to correct the Israelites. And so we see this happening both ways. So the first thing we're going to dive into, verses 5 through 7, we're going to see here the choice to forget. The choice to forget. Okay, again, the book of Judges, the people are stuck in a cycle. They're stuck on this hamster wheel, if you will, to sin, of sin, judgment, deliverance. Sin, judgment, deliverance. And this just keeps repeating. And the reason they find themselves stuck in this cycle, this repetitive cycle, is because they choose to forget. Now, the tribal groups native to the land remains in some fashion and number mixed in amongst the Israelites. Uh, Joshua, you can jot this down off to the side. Joshua chapter... I'm sorry, yeah, no, Judges, I wrote Joshua, right, sorry. Judges, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, kind of summarize what is expounded on in our text. So, Joshua, Judges, I'm going to do that probably seven more times tonight, just so you know. Judges, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Um, if somebody wants to turn there real quick and read that for us, we're going to have you read that. kind of sets the stage for what we've been talking about. So Judges chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Somebody got that? Judges 2, 11 and 12. Who's got that? Danielle? Awesome. Read that for us, please.
Okay, so this is kind of like a summary passage to say this is what they're going to do and then this is what they did. Something of note in chapter 2 of Judges, if you go a little bit before that, you're going to find out in verse 7, it says here, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. Verse 8, And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. Right after that, we find out that Joshua passes away. The elders that served with Joshua, they pass away or they begin to die off. And then now the people that are growing up and raising up these generations, they begin to say, man, these people groups around us, they have a pretty interesting religion and they get to do a lot of fun things. And we want to be a part of that. We're going to connect with those people groups. And so instantly they start turning their back on the Lord and going towards these idols. And notice one of the things that they did. They forgot what the Lord had done for them to bring them out of Egypt and to bring them into the promised land. So again, the people of God broke two major commands in the passage that we just read. So you read Judges 3, and you're going to see there that they broke two major commands. What is one of the two major commands that they broke? What's that? Okay, so they committed uh, idol worship. If you want to jot this down, uh, idol worship is forbidden. Deuteronomy 6, 14 through 15. And idol worship is anytime we put anything in God's place is number one. And what's the other thing that they did that God said not to do? <clears throat> yep. So, yep. So they intermarried with these different people groups. So that's forbidden in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3. Now, it's interesting to note that intermarrying that is forbidden according to the law has nothing to do with one people group marrying another people group or one race of people, in our understanding of that word, marrying another race of people. This specifically is spiritual in nature. God forbid the Israelites to intermarry with people that were not Israelites because their religion would be adapted into the Israelites' understanding. And so basically, the Hebrews were supposed to remain completely separate from those other religions. And in this time in the world, there are so many pagan religions that as you begin to intermarry with these people groups, you're going to start taking on some of their religious views and start denying the Lord God. We see this, again, is the major issue between God and his people all through the Old Testament. Those two things, worshiping idols and intermarrying. King Ahab got himself in all the problems that he got himself in because he married Jezebel, who he should never have married, and he allowed her space for her idols, built a temple to her idols, and then ultimately surrendered to worshiping her idols. And again, this is where God says, no, that is not okay. Go to the New Testament. There's a principle in the New Testament for us as believers. Christians are to not marry non-Christians. Why? Because as a Christian, my life is surrendered to Christ. A non-Christian does not have that same worldview, that same starting point. And so if I marry somebody as a Christian who is not a Christian, day one, we have issues. Day one, we have tension. I've been in ministry a long time now. It seems like not as long as it really has been. But I've been in ministry long enough to see and have conversations with people who chose to marry someone anyway— and just tell me all the headache they've had, all the tensions they've had, all the fights about going to church and how do we raise our children and what do we do about this and this. It happens all the time. 
Now, does that mean God can't bless that marriage, that God can't bring restoration through that marriage? Of course he can. And that person may come to know Christ through that relationship. But God is saying at the forefront, on the ideal, don't enter into that relationship because it's only going to lead to tension, division, or potentially somebody denying God their rightful place as God in their lives. And being in youth ministry for a long time, I, I remember talking to students all the time. Why would you even date as a 16, 17-year-old teen someone that's non-Christian because you're just setting yourself up for failure? And I'm telling you guys, I've seen it so many times where a, a teenage Christian, a Christian teenager would date someone who's not a Christian and tell me, oh, no, no, I'm just going to bring them to church. I'm going to use this to kind of get them into church every single time. The Christian teenager stopped coming. The non-Christian never came. Because it's not how it works. It's just not the ideal that God set up. So that's the point of this. It has nothing to do with anything racial or anything kind of a prejudice. It's purely spiritual. And that's why God set it up this way. But the children of Israel completely denied him. They chose to forget. These sins, these two specific sins, were the evidence of them practically forgetting God and their commitment to him as well as his goodness to them. Isn't it amazing? When they forgot God's commands and their commitment to him, they also forgot how good God was to them. They stopped realizing that he had blessed them and brought them out of bondage and all that he had done for them. What is the specific God that they are worshiping named in the passage? Balaam. So what else do we call Balaam? Baal. Balaam is the plural of Baal. So this is just Baal worship, which is something we hear a lot through the Old Testament. Baal was considered a pagan god of fertility and also the god of the weather. So the Canaanites and the Amorites, they, most of them worshipped Baal or some variation of Baal. And they believed that Baal was a god of fertility, both with crops and new life as far as birth and all of that, as well as controlled the weather. So here we see throughout the Old Testament, he, he receives many different names, but it's basically the same idol. Also, in chapter 2, verse 13 of Judges, we see Asheroth. Asheroth is mentioned. Asheroth is a pagan idol as well, would be the sister of Baal. Most other writings say the sister and wife of Baal. So again, idols of Baal and Asheroth. Um, this idol continues to be a problem for the Israelites, even into the New Testament. Uh, in the New Testament, it talks about Beelzebub. Beelzebub is just another variation of Baal. Um, some actually have said he's also the god of the flies or the god of the dung fly, which is super gross and completely ridiculous, but these are the gods that these people worshipped. It's also interesting to note, and you can jot this down over there off to the right, maybe next to that verse about Baal. If you remember the story in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah brings a drought on the land. Okay, so he goes to King Ahab and he says there's going to be a drought and it's not going to rain. And so I say it's going to rain. And we know the story that he does finally come back, say it's going to rain. He challenges the prophets of Baal. A um, bunch of them are killed for idol worship because they have this competition. And Elijah actually kind of mocks them a little bit. He sets up this altar and he says, okay, you guys cry out to Baal. I'll cry out to God. Whoever's God sends down fire and consumes this will worship as a nation. And the, Baal, the prophets of Baal do this for, from the morning until night, it says. And they're just wailing and they're wailing. Actually, one of the things that were involved in Baal worship was self-mutilation. They would cut themselves. And so they were doing this for hours and hours and hours and hours. And obviously nothing's happening because there's no such thing as an idol. 
And so Elijah gets up and he literally just says one prayer after having the altar soaked in water, having a trench dug around the altar and filled with water. He cries out in one prayer, God sends down fire, consumes the altar, consumes every drop of water, and the people of Israel cry out in repentance and say, no, we need to worship this God. So that's in 1 Kings. What's interesting is before this amazing demonstration of God's power, he says there's going to be a drought. It's not going to rain. Remember, what is Baal supposedly the God of? Weather. And so when Elijah cries out to this, the Ahab's going, come on, Baal. Like, like you're supposed to be the God of weather. Why is it not raining? And again, it reminds me of even in the Exodus, all those 10 plagues that God brings against the Egyptians. Do you know how many of them were in direct attack against one of the Egyptian idol gods? Well, this is the God of this. And God's like, no, it's not. I'm the God of that. Here, watch. Let me show you. In every one of these plagues that God brings up, every time one of his prophets does something that seems so ridiculous to us, we realize when we study a little bit of history and a little bit of culture, oh, God is attacking that specific idol to show the people there's only one true God, and he is the only true God. And so here again, this is all interconnected. But isn't it amazing that from Judges until 1 Kings, the children of Israel are battling the same issues, the same struggles of idol worship. Also note here, there's something else that should kind of be uh, underlined there. Verse 7 says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. By the way, you can circle the word sight. Nothing escapes his, his seeing. Nothing escapes his sight. He sees everything. It says, And forgot the Lord. So they're practically forgetting the Lord. Remember the commitment they made under Joshua? It says, Their God and served Balaam and the groves. Now, the groves is interesting, and I'm not going to dive into the details of that, but it's basically a place where worship of Baal took place. And in these groves and in these areas, a lot of very wicked and perverse things happen there. Again, Baal is the god of not just weather, but also fertility. So you can imagine the kinds of things that were happening there. So this is wickedness. This is, this is things that God has completely forbidden. And his children, his followers, those that claim to follow him as God, are just giving in to all of this. Let's look at verse 8. And then we'll see if we can finish out the, the text before we run out of time. Verse 8. So this is the state the people are in. They're giving themselves over to idol worship. They're forgetting God. And so verse 8, we see the consequence of their choices. And what is the consequence of the choice? It's oppression. So verse 8, Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand. I'm not even going to try to say that name. The king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served that king eight years. Okay? That's a lot of letters in a name. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Okay? And it would take me probably ten minutes to say the name. Um, so here we see the consequence. What's the consequence of their sin? Oppression. Now, when you see this here, we also read something that maybe strikes us, especially in our culture today. What, what did we just read there that some Christians today even might go, whoa, 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 time out. That doesn't sound like the God that I know. Now, before that. His anger. Whoa, whoa, God's not angry. God is only love. Remember? That's what we're hearing today a lot in our culture, especially even in... Christian circles in progressive Christianity. God is only love. God is love. God is love. God is love. Is God love? 100%. But is God also righteous and holy and just? And so here we see, he says, the anger of the Lord was hot against them. 
This word carries the idea of displeasure. When it says that word, that the anger was hot of God, it was just boiling. It's the idea of displeasure, being wroth with anger. The root word in the original Hebrew carries the idea of to be burned or to be scorched. So it's saying God is just burning with anger as he sees his children, the the children of Israel, doing these things. He is angry with them. Now, there should be a a reminder here to a New Testament passage. You can jot it down to the side. Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 19 is one example in the Gospels of Jesus driving out, right, those that were selling and basically robbing people and misleading people in the temple. He drove them out with a whip, flipping over tables and driving them out. That's the righteous anger of Christ. That's the righteous anger of God. It's the same idea. The God of the Old Testament is the same God we read about in the New Testament. And so Jesus, as God, was just as angry as the Father and the Spirit would be in regards to the sin, just like we see Jesus in the New Testament. And again, remember, what's the key lesson here? What's the key point we need to understand? That God will always defend his holiness among that the children of Israel are making people. Why does he get so mad in the New Testament and the temple? Because he will always defend his holiness among his people. The people were robbing people, misleading them, mistreating them. And that's supposed to be a place of prayer. So they were marring the name of God, attacking the name of God, the character of God. And so again, God gets angry with them. And as a response, what Sandra alluded to, God brings a consequence. And we need to write this down under there. And many of us have experienced this. But we need to remember this. What we reap or what we sow, we reap. What we sow, we reap. If we sow sinful decision, we will reap a consequence. Now, in Christ, we're forgiven and free completely. As we talked about this morning, there's no condemnation in Christ. We will stand forgiven when we stand before God in Christ. However, if I choose to sin in this life, even small things, there will be a consequence naturally. If I choose to tell a lie today, I will reap the consequence of that lie tomorrow or at some point. Now, the problem is, what do we think? Well, I didn't reap a consequence that I know of, so therefore I must be free and clear. But there's consequences that maybe we don't even realize now until years later. And we realize, oh, that's why I never should have done this or that. They chose to forget God and live unto themselves And so what does God do? He allows them that outcome. He does not stop their enemies from overcoming them and conquering them, and they are being oppressed. Now, at this time in world history, national slavery would not have meant things like imprisonment and chains. It would, however, have meant the nation was controlled by a foreign power. So they would have had to pay tributes and taxes, forfeit their land, permit the enemy to house troops in any house they chose. And so they have no freedom. This other nation has complete control over them as a people. They can do whatever they want with their property, their possessions, anything at all. And so here, this should be a very clear reminder to the children of Israel that they are not in the promised land and have not overcome any opponent up to this point, all through the book of Judge, or Joshua. It's amazing. You see the battle after battle and how God provided, but they didn't do any of that in their own strength. To the point where when God said, okay, I'm not going to stop them from overtaking you, they were just oppressed. They had no chance. So what should that show the children of Israel? God has brought us to this point in his strength. 
The only reason we had victory over Jericho and victory over AI and victory over this one and victory over that one is because God is doing this. And the minute we forgot him and turned our back on him, this is the consequence. We have been oppressed. Now, it says it was for eight years. But if we're being honest, if you had to live in that situation, I bet it felt more like an eternity. I don't think it probably felt like eight years. And every day, there's a constant reminder that they are not free. God gave them over to their desires. And what those desires brought was actual bondage. Isn't it amazing? We're going to stop here because it's 7 o'clock. I want to make sure the teens have their time. We'll come back to this next week. But isn't it amazing, that principle all through Scripture, that we think what we want will bring greater freedom, but really what it brings is greater oppression. What does Romans 1 say? that they wanted to give themselves and all the sin and do all these things. And the Bible says, and God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And what that brought was not freedom, but bondage. And so many people think, oh, if, if I was free, I could just do whatever I want. But that's not real freedom. Because ultimately, they thought, oh, this Balaam worship, we get to experience all kinds of things. We get our, our fleshful desires fulfilled. We get whatever we want. And it actually brought oppression. Well, rather, when they committed to the Lord, complete freedom. All their needs were taken care of. They had complete peace and joy and satisfaction. And so, again, there's a principle here that I pray we, as followers of Christ, will understand and desire to apply. That when we turn our backs on him and we forget him. Now, again, we're saved through the blood of Christ. I'm not talking about loss of salvation. But practically, when we choose to live as though we don't have that relationship we will find not greater joy and peace and freedom, we'll find oppression. We'll find bondage. We'll find addiction. We'll find something else controlling us. And now in this case, it's a people group. But to us, when sin is controlling us, it robs you of that joy and peace you have. There's guilt and there's shame. And you don't even know if you can call out to him. Would he even listen if I called out and repented? But I love this passage and so many other passages like it in Judges because we're going to find out next week he does hear those cries of repentance. And so let's pause here. I'm going to pray and then we're going to let you guys be dismissed. All right. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for tonight. And Lord, this simple little passage tucked away in the book of Judges teaches us so many things about the principles of this life but also the characteristics of who you are. And to be honest, you allowing the children of Israel to go through this eight years of oppression is an actual gift of grace. Because when you give them over to this people group and you allow them to be oppressed in this way, your goal was that they would be drawn unto repentance. And so thank you, Lord, for being a God that works in ways we don't understand. A God who is teaching us things that maybe we don't understand today, but we prayerfully will understand later on in life looking back. Thank you for being a God that is patient with our, our foolishness, patient with our unfaithfulness. But yet, Lord, even though you're patient with us to give us time to repent, you also allow us to go through consequences of those choices. And Lord, there's no one in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, that has not made a decision that was displeasing to you. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one perfect in this room, myself included. And so when we realize that, that we've all fallen short of perfection, we realize that we all need grace. 
we can't clean ourselves up. We can't please God enough through good works and good behavior to make you forgive us. But what we can do is receive the free gift of salvation that you give so willingly that anyone, no matter their age, what they've done, their knowledge of their the background in, in God's word, if they've ever been to church before, baptized, not baptized, doesn't matter. All that matters is do we personally know Christ? Have we called out and asked you to forgive us of our sins? Have we admitted that we've sinned? So Lord, I pray if there's anyone here, either in this room or listening online, that has not made that decision for themselves, Lord, I pray that you'd work in their heart and minds. I pray they would know that like everyone else in this room, they've sinned and fallen short of perfection, but that you died on the cross for their sins. You were buried in a borrowed tomb and rose again. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Christ, can, a name of Christ, can be saved. And so, Lord, I pray that you do a work that only you can do to draw to repentance and salvation those that need to be saved. And Father, for those of us that know Christ, I pray you'd help us to keep our eyes on you, our minds on you, not to forget your goodness to us, your provision to us, and who you are in our lives, but to live practically as a follower of Christ for your glory. So Lord, we'll give you all the praise and all the glory for all that you're doing. And we thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, you guys are dismissed. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Uh, students, you can head right next door into the fellowship hall, please. And then you guys will get started in just a few minutes. I know.